Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, uh, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's Jesus. That's red letter. And uh, verse 19, Go, therefore... So in light of he has, hev- he has authority on heaven and on earth, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And verse 20, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But let's notice in verse 19, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Amen? Now let's look over at Mark 16. Mark 16. I'm glad you guys came tonight. I'm starting a new series tonight, which I'm really excited about. And uh, once once we got writing down notes for it, I had to uh, change it into about three or four different sermons. So we wouldn't be here till 12 o'clock tonight because uh, God started giving me more and more revelation on this subject. So uh, this is the first part of a series we, we're starting. I'm going to tell you the title in a second here. So math, or Mark 16 and verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. And he said to them, notice, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Notice Jesus said, go, don't sit in the church seat for the rest of your life. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel or the good news to every creature. Now, one last uh, passage before we get going here. Acts 17. Acts 17. It doesn't hurt hurt you to turn to these scriptures. Trying to get you to have a dirty Bible so you can have a clean life. So, Acts 17. Acts 17 in verse 5. It says, But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob. Set, he set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring, bring out the people. And verse 6, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here to do the same. Notice that, that was talk, he's talking about believers here about followers of Jesus, notice what they said about them. Unbelievers were saying, these men have turned the world upside down and they have come here to do the same. Translation, they came and they changed the world and they were going to do the same in this city that they were going to. So the title of my message, if you're taking notes, is this is how we change the world. This is how we change the world. This is how we change the world. Now let's look back over at Matthew. Matthew 28. We'll park there. Matthew 28. So this is how we change the world. It's the title of this series that I'm starting tonight. 
And I don't know how long we're going to go, but however long it needs to go. And um, this has been on my heart for several months. Actually, God started speaking to me about it when we were talking about purity. But I had to hold up on it for a little bit. So it's a perfect message to start preaching on at the beginning of the year. We got a fresh start. We got a new start, 2012. And God's going to do the most amazing things this year. And he's going to bring the abundance. He's going to bring the harvest in. But we got to be ready for it. And the harvest doesn't just come in just because we think it would be cute or it would be cool. But we got to go and get the harvest. Notice Jesus said two different times, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and make disciples. Why? Because they're not going to come to you. you got to go to them. You be the initiator. If we're going to change the world, we're going to have to be the initiators. We're not going to have to wait for the world to come to us while we're hiding out in our churches and at our houses. No, we're going to have to go into the world to change the world. You know, there's a lot of talk about change in the planet. There always has been. There always will be. Everybody talks about change. Everybody has different opinions on about how to change the world. And we need to do this. And this would help the earth out. And this would change people. But a lot of it's nonsense. A lot of it doesn't change anybody. And the whole fact that, that the whole world as a whole knows they, they need to change is a good thing. The fact that the whole world needs that something different has to happen. They know that the way our our environment is, the way our economies are, the way people act anymore is crazy. They know something needs to change. Now, they don't know how to change it, but they at least know they need to change. So we'll give them that. If you're living on the planet right now and you know anything about what's going on with somebody else other than yourself, you know that the world is in desperate need of change. It always has been, but it's really a crucial time in history that things need to change on the planet. Things need to change on the earth. They know they need to change. And that's a good place to be. If you know you need to change, that's, that's the first step to admitting that there is a problem and you need help. And I need help. And the world needs help. So that's good that we're at step one. You know, um, something happened in the 60s and 70s, which... A lot of our parents in here were a part of that. In the 60s and 70s, there was a a move in the United States and and around the world, and it was the hippie generation, the baby boomer generation. And how many know the hippie generation, the baby boomer generation, changed the world in their generation? They didn't change it for the better, they changed it for the worse, but they changed the world. The problems we have today as a world are in, in part part of the baby boomers' problem because they started it. Their rebellion in the 60s and 70s were reaping it in 2012. The way the world is in a place it is, the reason that we've grown up in, in the schools we have, in the environment we have, is all our parents' fault. <laughs> it is. Now, maybe your parent wasn't uh, one of those rebellious ones, but as a whole, that whole generation, a lot of them were rebellious. And it wasn't a bad thing that they wanted to change things in the the planet and in the country because things did need to change. But the way they went about it was wrong. 
They thought uh, drugs, sex, and rock and roll was going to change the United States and change the world. And they realized it didn't change anybody. They just had a lot of babies. They got a lot of STDs. And now they're paying the consequences of it later. And the way the, the world is today is because of them. They changed it. A lot of our parents changed the world, but they didn't change it for the better. They changed it for the worse. And think about that. That's an ungodly generation. If an ungodly generation could do that, how much more a godly generation? How much more a generation that actually God himself is behind them? God is for them. God is with them. God is empowering that generation. How much more can this generation change the world for the better? You know, I wrote down a couple things here. These are things that people think is going to change the world. Especially you college students, you're going to hear a lot of this bull at college. You can hear a lot of this stuff at your high school or your middle school on, yeah, you need to get involved in this because this is what's really changing the world. This is what's really changing people. Here's, here's number one here. Politics. A lot of people think that politics are going to change the world. Now, I'm all for you voting for godly people and getting godly people into office. But just you having a godly president is not going to change people. Are you hearing me tonight? Just because you have godly people in authority does not mean the people in that country are going to submit to their, their authority. You know, right now as we speak... Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of Republicans that are trying out for the office of president, and uh, they're trying to uh, beat President Obama. And they all say that they are the best candidate, and they all say that they have the ability to change the United States and the world. And I want to say tonight that they don't. They don't have the ability to just change the United States and the world because they are not a savior. They are not a savior. I love something my father said, which he is, he's much older than me, and he's seen far more presidents than me because he's 62 years old. And he said, I've been through Republican and Democrat presidents, and none of them have ever done anything for me. Now, I'm all for you voting for the right person, but if you're hanging your hat that politics is going to change the world, it's not. That's not the answer. Here's something else, education. I'm for education, but people that hang their hat, if the world was just more educated, that would change the world. Now, it wouldn't hurt because dumb people don't help the process. But education in and of itself will not change the world. That's what a lot of people say. Even politicians will say that. That's their, their motto. They're more than even spirituality or religion, they will say, you know, you just need to get a good education, and that's what's going to change the world. That's what's going to change your life. That's going to give you prosperity in this country. Now, I believe you should be educated, but education alone is not going to change the world. I love what uh, C.S. Lewis said. He said, education without God just makes you a more clever devil. Education without God in the middle of it just makes you a more clever devil. So you're just a, a, a smarter uh, devil walking around. Here's something. Now, uh, our generation loves this. 
My age group loves this. The 20-somethings, oh, they're passionate about this. The environment. Listen, I think you should take care of the environment. But a lot of people in my generation are hanging their hat that if I recycle enough, and if I save the Arctic cats, that that's going to change the world. I mean, you might be able to breathe a little bit better, but it's not going to change people's life. You might change a panda bear's life, and you might have a couple more trees in your backyard, but it's not changing the world. It's not changing people's life. The environment is not changing people's life. Here's one, music. I enjoy music. But a lot of people are writing songs. They'll have whole concerts dedicated to world peace. They'll have songs on the radio talking about, let's just love each other. Let's just get along. Let's just, you know, everybody needs to get along. We, we should just love and world peace and, and kissy bear, huggy face. And all this, I tell you, music is powerful, but music doesn't have the ability to change the world. You going to a world peace concert does not have the ability to change the world. I've never seen somebody in war start playing a peace and love song in the middle of the battle and the terrorists are like, okay, man, I really love that song. You know what? Now that I think about it, I'm going to put down my weapon, you put down yours, and let's just go have some coffee. I've never seen that happen. Because uh, music and concerts and the latest song written by Justin Bieber is not going to change the world. It's not going to change the world. If you're in the the heat of battle, the terrorists are not going to put down their weapons because that new Justin Bieber song. They're not going to put down their weapons because they heard the new Katy Perry song. Why? Because you've got to change the person. Here's something that people say is going to change the world. If I just take enough self-help classes and learn how to be a better person, then that will change the world. No, it won't change the world. Now, all these things that I spoke about, there's nothing wrong with them per se, but when we put our faith in those things to change the world, like the majority of our planet does, and it doesn't get better, it gets worse, because those things don't have the ability to change people. They're a superficial change. They're an outward, external change. And that's not the kind of change that this world needs. Because that's only temporary. It's if I really like this song, I'm a happy, good person. But then when the, when the song I don't like comes on, I'm grumpy and I want to kill somebody. It's an external change. It's a feelings change. You know, people, a lot of people, especially in this country, have gone to the place that they are so desperate for change, they want to change their body. Cosmetically, facelifts and butt lifts and armpit lifts and everything else you could think of trying to change the outside. But that's not what real change needs to happen. They can try to cover it up the best they can, but it doesn't change what's on the inside of them. They can try to Botox it out. They can try to dye their hair hair color even though they're 80 years old and they're still trying to uh, dye their hair brown. But that's not going to change the world. That's not going to change somebody's inside. I wrote down here, 
All these things are man's shallow attempt to change himself and the world around him. Politics, education, the environment, music, self-help, cosmetic surgery, those are all man's attempts to change himself and the world around him. And it's not possible. It doesn't work. It's a temporary change. It's an external change. So don't buy into the lie when you hear stuff like that from your friends and from your professors. Don't buy into that junk, that that's what's changing the world. You know, even people that enjoy religion, it's still an outward change. It's not an inward change. People that are, are part of different world religions of the world, and even there's, there's some so-called Christians that really, they don't have a relationship, they just have a religion. And it's just an outward change, and it's external the thing is that this world has gotten really good at plastic surgery in every way. And that means if I just fix myself up and make myself look good and look pretty and I seem pretty educated and I, I seem like I help out the environment and I seem like I'm a pretty good person and everything's going, going great. Even though on the inside I got all kinds of junk and hate and envy and strife. And they're all about the outward appearance. If I just look good, I'm doing good. And it's all external. The thing is, they hang their hat on plastic surgery. But our problem's deeper than that. We're not in need of plastic surgery. We're in need of a heart transplant. Are you hearing me tonight? You can fix up the outside all you want, but you still got a messed up heart. World doesn't need more cosmetic surgery. They need a heart transplant. They need an internal change. And can I say this tonight? The only person capable of giving you a heart transplant is God Himself. He's the only person. Your parents cannot give you that. Your pastor cannot give you that. Your boyfriend or girlfriend cannot give you that. The only person who can give you a heart transplant and change your heart, which that's the real you, is God. So you could keep trying to do all the rest of the stuff for the rest of your life, and you're just going to be a person with plastic surgery still in need of a heart transplant. The only true and lasting change begins in your heart. Let's look over at Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36. You guys get anything so far? So the only true and lasting change, it always begins and ends in your heart. And the only person capable of changing your heart is God. He's the only person. And that's what you're in need of, a heart transplant. In Ezekiel 36, 24, this, this is God prophesying through the prophet Ezekiel about the new covenant, which we're living under prophesying about the future to come when Jesus would come and he'd save us and he'd give us a new heart. So Ezekiel 36, 24 says, for I will take from among the nations and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Verse 25, then I will sprinkle you with clean water and you shall be clean and I will cleanse you from all filthiness from your idols. 
In verse 26, pay attention to this verse. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. But notice in, in verse 26, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take out that old heart of stone, that hard heart you used to have, and put in a heart of flesh. So what is God saying there? That there's going to come a day, which that day is here today. We're living in that day. Where he's going to take out that old heart that wasn't working, that old stony heart, that cold heart, and give us a new heart. And change us from the inside out. He's the only person capable of giving you a new heart. The only way this world will change is they need a heart transplant. They need a new heart. Not just a couple people, but everybody on the planet needs a new heart. Because that's, that's the only thing that's going to really change the world. Only true and lasting change always begins in your heart. Now let's look over at Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So notice, in Matthew 28, and we read it a little bit ago in Mark 16, Jesus said both times to his disciples, go into all the world. Go into all nations and make disciples. Can I translate that for you? I want you to go into all the world and change it. I want you to go change the world, disciples. Because I'm not going to be here forever, but I'm going to send my spirit. But you need to finish the job that I started. How many know Jesus started the job and the church's job is to finish what Jesus started? And until everybody is reached on the planet, our job is not over, church. When there's still lost people out there, our job is not over. And Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world, go into every nation. I want you to change it. I've given you the ability to change it. You need to know that. At your school, at your job, at your home, everywhere you go, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the ability to change it. He's given you that ability. A lot of us keep making excuses. You know, man, my school, it's just, it's just dark. There's just a spirit of darkness all over my school, and I can't change it. You can change it. Just my, my home, there's so much trouble in my home, I can't. You can change it. If the Word of God says you, you can change it, and you say you can't, who's lying? Not God. God said you could change it. And if he said you can change it, you can change your school, you can change your city, and you can change this country. I tell you, eventually, our goal is to change the world. But you've got to start where you're at. Start in your own house. Start in your own school. Start in your own neighborhood. We'll get around to the world eventually. But we've got to start where we're at. 
You know, in both of these places, this is known as the Great Commission. Has anybody ever heard that before? The Great Commission. Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to go. And in, in how many of you know, when we believe in Jesus, we're, we're called to be disciples. You know, it's 2,000 years since this happened, but all of us in this room, if you believe in Jesus, you're a disciple, and he's talking to you right here. Go. Get up off your butt and go somewhere and do something and change some people's life. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's called the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. He didn't say go if you feel like it. Go if you feel like you're really talented and able to do what I've called you to do. He said go. And I'll give you the ability. And I'll give you the grace. And I'll give you the favor to change it. It's not the great suggestion. A lot of us, especially if you've grown up in church a while, you, you read scriptures and act like they're options. Like the scriptures I like, you know, I'm going to do that. That's, that's cool. I love that. But the scriptures you don't like so much because it means you've got to step out of your comfort zone and actually do something that's kind of optional. It doesn't work like that. There's no such thing with God as selective obedience. It's either obedience or disobedience. If you just choose the things that you like and disobey the things you don't, you, you are in disobedience to God. There's not selective obedience in the kingdom of God. He said, I want you to go. And that's a great commission. He didn't say, if you feel like it, if you want to, I want you to go. You know, that was a big task. It's not like he's asking... Hey, I want you to go just change Jerusalem. He said, I want you to go to all the world and change it. I want you to go to all the world and change it. You got to realize when, when he said this, yeah, it was a big task. It was a big responsibility that Jesus said, go change the world. But you got to imagine the disciples were probably feeling pretty jacked up and pretty good right then. Because Jesus had just resurrected from the dead like he told him he would. So how many know you'd be pretty full of faith too? If the guy that you've been following for the past three years said, hey, I'm God, I'm going to go die, and I'm going to raise up in three days, and he resurrected, and he was telling the truth, and now he's in front of you saying, go into all the world, I'd be like, hey, let's do it. You just resurrected from the dead. Nothing's impossible here. I believe you. So you got to imagine when, when Jesus was saying this, these disciples were full of faith. They were pumped up. But then something happened. Jesus said, I got to go. Imagine how ticked you would be as a disciple. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you for three years, get shunned by people, get mocked by people, and you're going to resurrect from the dead. Now you're telling me to go into all the world, which I'm good with that as long as you're going with me here. But now Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to leave you guys here, but I'm going to go up to heaven. Oh, that's easy for you to say, Jesus. So you want us to do all the work, and you just go up to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. That's cool. That's cool. No problem. So you got to think about that when you're reading the Scripture, because that's what was going on here. But notice this. I love, I love this. And we read it in verse 20. Jesus said, after he said to go, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, when we're going here, we're not going alone. 
He's with us. He's with us everywhere we go. We're not doing this thing by ourselves. He's going with us. He's given us the ability to do it. But notice before Jesus left, he said this. I want you to wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to send another. When Jesus was ascending to heaven, he told all his disciples that he just told to change the world. He said, I meant what I said, but you go wait in Jerusalem till I send another. And don't start the plan until the other one shows up because you can't do it by yourself. Because you can't change nobody by yourself. You can't even change yourself. That's why you're in need of a Savior. Hello, somebody. But Jesus said, I'm going to send another who is just like me. And you know, it's almost hard to believe, but Jesus even says in the gospel, it's far better for me to go. It's far better for me to go because I'm going to send one and he's going to be your helper. He's going to be your empower, your enabler to do everything I've called you to do. You know why it's better that Jesus went and he sent the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus in his physical form could only be with one of us at a time. But the Holy Spirit came and he lives in all of us at the same time. He's not just in one specific location. The Holy Spirit is all over the world today. And he is in all of us. And he said, don't start the Great Commission until the Spirit of God comes. And notice he said, you got to wait till you receive power. Jesus said, wait to do what I've called you to do because you're going to need power to do this. Nobody's going to get changed just because you went to the Jesus fan club. Nobody's going to get changed just because you're a good speaker. Nobody's going to get changed just because you look cool and you can talk to some people. But you're going to need power. And Jesus said, none of you do anything till the Holy Spirit comes because he's going to give you power to do what I've called you to do. You need to write this down. The church is incapable of changing the world apart from the Holy Spirit. The church, which all of us are, if you're in Jesus, you're a part of the church. The church is incapable of changing the world apart from the Holy Spirit. And thank God he didn't tell us to just change the world by ourselves. He sent the Holy Spirit to help us do it. But realize the church just in and of itself is incapable of changing the world apart from the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Acts 1. Acts 1. I'm excited tonight. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about this message. Acts 1. Acts 1 and verse 8. This is in red letter. Jesus said, but you shall receive power. Notice, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Notice, in Jerusalem, in New Albany, in Judea, in Floyd County, in Samaria, in Indiana, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
you know, when, when this was going on, there was 120 disciples in a, in a random upper room in the Middle East when this happened. 120 people that started this thing known as the church. 120 people. You know, the sad part about it is Jesus invited 500 people to be at this event. But like most prayer meetings, 120 showed up because there was no fried fish dinner or anything. He just said, we go have a prayer meeting for the next month or so till the Holy Ghost shows up. So like I said, most prayer meetings, 120 will show up when 500 was invited. And it's funny how Jesus got the same results as most churches. You think about that, those, I guess, 380 some people after the whole book of Acts happened. Don't you think they were kicking themselves for the rest of their life? Hopefully in the book of Acts somewhere, they got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost during that period of time. They probably did seeing the hundred, what God did with the 120 But if you were a part of the 380, you'd be kicking yourself. You weren't in that upper room with the rest of them. When you got invite from Jesus himself. You got to think about this. If you were following Jesus, he healed everybody. He cast out devils. He raised the dead. He went to the cross. He rose again three days after you knew he was dead. And then you saw him literally levitate into heaven. You're not going to give his suggestion to come to the upper room. Like you can't believe him. It's, uh, people don't make sense sometimes. If you saw this guy rise from the dead and then ascend into heaven with angels singing, I think that's some, some person you need to pay attention to. But notice, they said, you know, I'm busy. I got stuff to do. Jesus, I appreciated this past three years, but, but I got a life to go on with. But notice there was 120 hungry ones. See, I'm trying to talk to hungry people in here passionate people in here. They actually want to do something with their life and not waste it. And notice it doesn't take many to change the world. It just takes some hungry people, some passionate people, some people that want to do anything for God that they realize when they get to heaven, the only thing that they did for Christ is what's going to last. Nothing else. Not your stats at your basketball game. Not how good you could cook some zucchini. Nothing else is going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter is what did you do for the kingdom of God? What did you do for his church? How did you serve Jesus? How did you serve your generation? That's the only thing that's going to matter when we get there. And that was all free because I wasn't on my notes. So 120 people in an upper room locked away waiting for the Holy Spirit. You got to realize this. The Holy Spirit didn't come to the upper room the day after Jesus said that. It was about 50 days that they waited in this upper room. You'd probably be getting a little annoyed, a little bored, if you were locked away in an upper room with 120 people for 50 days. But when they look back at it now, they don't regret a minute of it. You got to think, A lot of these disciples, these 101 disciples that were in the upper room, a lot of them probably at that time, a lot of them were timid. Some of them were probably even fearful because they knew they they were trying to kill Jesus, but they were trying to kill all his disciples also. 
So that's probably why the door was locked in the upper room, because those 120 people thought that everybody was trying to kill him. The Roman government, they were trying to wipe out all the followers of Jesus. So you've got to think about these people, because see, sometimes we think about the apostles, the prophets, and we put them on a level that's, that's unattainable for most of us. When they were just people like we are. And you got to think about this. When this happened, they were a bunch of scared, timid, fearful people. That's what they were. They were natural people. They weren't the great apostles doing signs and wonders and miracles and changing cities at this point. They were just a bunch of 120 passionate people at God who were, who were a little bit fearful, a little bit timid, a little bit, you know, unsure of what was going to happen next since Jesus had went to be with his father. But notice there's something that happened to those group of 120 people. How can those people go from that to you see in the book of Acts in the whole New Testament, those same people starting churches, changing cities, signs and wonders are done by them. Those are the same people. But something happened to have that drastic of a change. It was the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit came. It said in Acts 2, we're not going to read it, but the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2 like Jesus had promised. He said, I'm going to send somebody. And he came and it was the person of the Holy Spirit. And he came and he filled everybody. And notice what happened as soon as he filled these 120 disciples, they immediately unlocked the door and went outside the house and started preaching because they remembered Jesus said, go. He said, go, therefore. So let's not waste any more time. He said, go. But he said, don't go until the Holy Spirit has come. And when the Holy Spirit came, guess what they did? They went. In those same fearful, timid, just natural, average, your average people that have the same tendencies we have, they went from that to having signs and wonders and miracles. They went from that to being in jail and prison for preaching Jesus, and they wouldn't shut up about him. They said, you could die from this. And they said, I could care less. Something happened. The Holy Spirit came upon them. You know, when the Holy Spirit fills you, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit filling you is not just so you can speak in tongues and tell everybody else you can speak in tongues. That's not the primary purpose of you being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not so you can just talk in tongues and look down on everybody that hasn't received the Holy Spirit yet. That's not the primary purpose. That's an awesome gift that we've been given a prayer language. But notice the primary purpose is in Acts 1.8. It said, you will receive power. And notice, power to do what? To be a witness. That's the primary pers- purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life, is so you can have power to be a witness to what Jesus has done in your life. You can have power to change the world. You can have power to do everything God has called you to do. That's the reason for the Holy Spirit coming. So I say, if you speak in tongues for an hour and day, and you're not a witness to anybody, it was pointless that you spoke in tongues for an hour. 
Because the primary purpose is not just so you can speak in tongues to yourself and, and get big on the inside and not share the gospel with anybody. You're missing the point. The primary purpose is you could have power to be a witness. Are you hearing me tonight? You know, he didn't say, go, go do witnessing, go try out witnessing, go pass out some tracks. He said, be a witness. There's a big difference. And yeah, you know, I did that witnessing thing one time. It was a couple years ago. I passed out some tracks for that regeneration event down at the waterfront. No, that doesn't count. That means you tried witnessing, you did witnessing, but you're not a witness. There's a big difference. And Jesus hasn't called us in here to try evangelism, to do evangelism. He called us to be evangelists. He called us to be witnesses. And notice the byproduct of the Holy Spirit coming upon you is you're going to be a witness. It's not like, I'm going to try to be a witness. No, if the Holy Spirit is genuinely on your life and living big through you, you will be a witness. Nobody will have to preach to you, go be a witness. You'll be a witness. Because that's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit filling you. So I say to, to a lot of us that have been filled with the Holy Spirit for a while, if, if we're not being a witness, when's the last time we actually spent some time with the Holy Spirit? Because if we're constantly being refilled by the Holy Spirit, we will be a witness. All that shows me is I'm having no time of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Real talk. Because when you get in the presence of the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you power to be a witness. The Spirit of God empowers you and enables you to do all he has called you to do. Are you hearing me? The Spirit of God empowers you and enables you to do everything God has called you to do. You know, when you say, God, I can't do what you called me to do, you are lying. Because he gave you the Holy Spirit to empower you and enable you to do what you cannot do by yourself. That's why he gave you the Holy Spirit, your helper. The greater one on the inside of you. That's why you can say, greater is he than he that's in the world. Because he lives on the inside of you. And the one that lives on the inside of you has the ability to change this whole planet. So you got to wake up. you you, you got to realize what's, what's on the inside of you. A lot of us, we, we walk around like we don't have this greater one living on the inside of us. And he's there. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's living on the inside of us. When's the last time we thought about it? Because he's wanting to do more than, than we're even realizing. But why? We're thinking about our Xbox. We're thinking about our school or our girlfriend or boyfriend. And not about things that really matter in this life. Hey, and, and I will outdo all of you in fun. I like having fun. I like playing Xbox. I like dancing, as you can see. But I know when it's time to th- have fun, and I know when it's time to say, hey, there's some more serious things in this life to do, and there's people going to hell, and I'm not going to just sit around and twiddle my thumbs while the rest of my school goes to hell. I don't want it. And if, if you don't agree with what I'm saying tonight, please go to another church who's not going to do anything with their lives and live and die and let their whole city go to hell. I'm serious about that. Because I'm more passionate about the people coming than trying to keep you here. 
Somebody needs to stir you up sometimes and shake you into reality, realizing that there is so much ahead of us, but we got to step into it. Realizing there's so much that God wants us to do as a group. Not just me, not just a couple of us, all of us in here together. And if somebody doesn't come up and get up in your face and shake you into reality, then let's not waste our life. Let's not wait till we're 45 years old. We have a nice house, a picket fence. uh, We got a husband or a wife and all these kids, and now we decide to do something for God. Because I spent the first 45 years on myself, and now I'm going to give God the rest. I wrote down two things as we close here. Two things. I feel a little liberty tonight since we don't really have visitors tonight. Because <laughs> you guys can handle it, can't you? Number one, if you want to change the world, number one, you got to be the change you want to see. Number one, if you want to be a world changer in here, You need to be the change you want to see. See, I'm not talking about this because there's a lot of complaining Christians on the planet that just complain about how dark the world is, and they complain about how everybody doesn't love God anymore, but then they're not the change they want to see. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about being a weak-minded Christian who's just going to complain and not willing to change themselves. Listen, we can't be critical of unbelievers if we're not willing to change ourselves. We're criticizing people for not changing, and we refuse to change when the Holy Spirit tries to move on us. That's not going to work. So you need to know, first of all, if you want to change the world, you're going to have to change. If you're going to change the world, you are going to have to change first. If you want to be a world changer... If you want to do something, you have to be willing to change first and be the change you want to see. Before we can change the world, we need to change us. I'm not talking about changing yourself by yourself. That's why he gave you the Holy Spirit, to change you. The thing is, the Holy Spirit's not going to make you change If you don't want to change, the Holy Spirit, he, he's not going to force himself on you. But I'm saying you've got to respond to the Holy Spirit when he's trying to change things in your life. Because you can choose to, to respond to that in a good way, like I want it, or you can choose to respond in a negative way, like I don't want to change. People that don't want to change are never going to change anybody else. Because only change people change others. Only change people change others. So be the change you want to see. Let's look over at 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. I know I've talked extremely straight and extremely bold tonight. But it was good for you. And I'm only doing it out of love. And like I said this, the message I preached before our Christmas break, I said, I don't want to see any one of you in here waste your life. And if I can do anything in my own power and own strength, I will not let it happen. I won't let it happen for you. If you're not intelligent enough to do it, 
I'm going to step up and say something to you about it. Because I, I don't want anybody in here to just leave an, an average, a mediocre, a get-by life. When Jesus called us to an abundant life, to a world-changing life, to a life that you can only dream about, that's what Jesus has promised. But many Christians settle for something far less than that. 1 Corinthians 1, in verse 27, it says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of this world and the things which are despised, God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. But notice God has chosen the foolish or the weak things of this world to confound the wise. My second point, if you want to be a world changer, is you need to be available. You need to be available. If you want to be a world changer, you need to be available. 500 people missed it on the day of Pentecost. But 120 people were available. It wasn't that the 120 were were more exceptional, were more talented, were more outgoing, or they had more ability than the rest of the people. It's the 120 were available to what God was trying to do. I've said this before, I'll say it again. God is not looking for ability, he's looking for availability. The world looks for ability. That's what the world looks for. Talent, looks, ability. God looks for availability. That's what he looks for. You know why? Because he can give you the talent, the looks, the ability, the graces to do what he's called you to do. But he doesn't look for ability. He looks for availability. You know, what 1 Corinthians one twenty seven is telling us, that God likes to use average people, normal people, people that the world look like, man, that's foolish that those people could ever do anything with their life. Man, those people are weak. Those people don't have any ability. God likes to use people like that. Why? Because those people a lot of times are humble and they're available to be used. And if you step out and say, hey, God, I'm available to be a world changer, he's going to take you up on your availability. And he's going to give you the graces and the favor and the ability to do everything he's called you to do. You know, you got to think, think about this. Some of us in here, when I talk about world changers, a lot of you are automatically tuning me out because you don't consider yourself one of those people. You don't consider yourself talented enough. Or I'm not outgoing like some people are. Or I don't have the gifts or the graces some people have. You know, the enemy wants you to think like that. The enemy wants you to think like that. That, you know, there's only few world changers, and I'm one of those people that are just going to watch them change the world. That's, that's why the church is in the shape it is today, because most of the church are spectators, not participators. Majority of the church world, they're spectators. They watch the few people around the world change the world for God and they just sit at their homes and watch them. 
But God has not called anybody in his church to be a spectator. He's called every one of us to be participators in what he's doing. Not one of us are sitting on the bench. There's not, we all get to play in this game. Not one of us get, get, sit on the bench for, uh, you know, you're, you're just not good enough, so you, you need to be the water boy. No, all of us in this thing need to participate. And the enemy wants you to think, man, I could see how the apostles, man, they were awesome. I'm just not like that. Or, you know, I'm really not like, like a Smith Wigglesworth or Dr. Summerall. I'm not like a, a Dr. Dufresne or Pastor Nancy. I'm really not like those people. Those are world changers, but I'm, one, I'm just like an average, normal person. The enemy loves for you to think like that. And it's a lie. All those people I just mentioned, there's nothing spectacular about them. There's, there's no special talent or special gifting. All they were was available. And God gave them that stuff. He gave them the ability. He gave them the talent that we see. You got to realize the people that wrote the whole New Testament, all the different apostles, we'll see, were just average, normal people. But they were available. That's the key. So I don't want any of us in here to think that we don't qualify for this. We're not a world changer. You know, I can, I can, see, I can see how some people are, but yeah, that's just not me. I don't really have the ability, the gift. I'm just a normal person, an average person. God doesn't care about that. He just wants to know, are you available to be used? That's all he cares about. He'll give you the ability. He will give you the ability. So number two, be available. You guys get anything tonight? As I close here, let's turn over to Acts 17. Acts 17. I appreciate everybody coming tonight. Acts 17. And notice these uh, these disciples, the reason why the, these Jewish people were mad is because they were literally changing whole cities in that whole region, and they realized they were coming to their city, and their city was probably going to be changed. Since these Jewish people didn't want to change, they were mad at the disciples of Jesus. So they tried to start a fight. So in verse 6, it says, And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers. That, Jason was a believer, and some of his brothers with him to the rulers of the city. And they cried out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here to do the same also. Notice, that Jason and these, these brothers with him, they're not even like one of the main 12 disciples. It's not like he said, like Peter or James or somebody we recognize. He said, Jason and these brothers. It's just a follower of Jesus over here, and they're changing cities. So when I say stuff about changing cities and nations and states and countries and schools, don't look at me like that's a big deal. Don't look at me like that's not possible. If it was possible back then, it's possible now. God is not a respecter of persons. If he could change you back then, he could change him now. The key is he's got to have somebody uh, courageous enough 
and full of faith enough to step out and actually do something. And not settle for the status quo. And notice, Jason and his brothers, man, these are just good followers of Jesus. This isn't like James. He said, these guys have turned the world upside down. The known world at that time, they had turned it around or they have changed it. And they're coming here to do the same also. Realizing that when they come here, it's not like an option, like the city's going to change. It's going to change when they get here. Because they walked in that amount of power with God. They walked in that kind of power because the Holy Spirit was all over them. And they were changing cities.